Welcome to the IAB Policy Podcast, where we provide expert commentary and analysis on the legal and regulatory developments impacting the digital advertising industry. My name is Alex Propes, and I'm the Vice President of Public Policy for the IAB, based in Washington, D.C. In today's conversation, I get to sit down with Dr. Joe Kennedy, who is a senior fellow at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, where he focuses on economic policy. Prior to joining ITIF, he served as the chief economist for the U.S. Department of Commerce. During our discussion, we'll delve into the growing trend of foreign countries introducing taxes on digital advertising revenues, which are commonly referred to as digital services taxes, or DSTs. We'll talk about who is being impacted by these taxes, why they're being introduced now, and how the U.S. government is responding to protect America's digital sector. I hope you enjoy. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. So the digital economy, and that includes the digital advertising industry, which many of IAB's members are a part of, uh, has challenged conventional international policies and conventions since many international rules are rooted in a company's geographic location or physical presence. And so during today's discussion, we'll focus on one area of international law that has received increased scrutiny in recent years, and that is digital taxation. In the last few years, we've seen numerous countries introducing what are referred to as digital services taxes that, among other things, tax online advertising revenues. Joe, you've testified before Congress on this issue. You've written op-eds and reports on the topic, and we'll include links to those in our show notes for the podcast. But to kick off the discussion, can you describe for our audience what digital services taxes are? Sure. Um, so uh, digital services taxes have arisen in the last, I think, maybe it was two, maybe three years ago. And they're different than a normal, say, sales tax that would apply to bread or if you bought a car. Um, they started really with a, a proposal by the European Union to adopt uh, a union-wide uh, tax provision, and that failed. And since then, every country has gone sort of its own way. But DSTs contain three basic um, features that separate them from other tax laws. One is that they focus on revenue. And they do this because if they focus, if they taxed corporate profits, they would clearly be violating uh, multilateral tax uh, treaties and also many, many bilateral tax treaties that nations form uh, with each other. Uh, a third or a second uh, feature is that they focus on digital activity uh, and tax the revenues from that. And uh, they're usually aimed fairly narrowly at just certain kinds of activities. For example, the French DST uh, as as well as the EU-wide proposal, would have only taxed ads that are based on the digital profiles of the users of an internet platform. Uh, it w- would have also taxed uh, the revenue that a platform owner gets from matching buyers or sellers, something like Amazon's marketplace. And then the third source of revenue would have been uh, if you sold, if a platform sold user data to another com- company, uh, that would have been taxed. But only those three t- types of transactions would have been taxed. And then a final um, 
feature is that these taxes are specifically designed to hit only the world's largest companies and only companies that are not, for the most part, not in the country passing the DST. Most of the countries, companies, excuse me, are American companies, uh, although a fair number are also Chinese. But the main purpose of the DST is to hit foreign companies and protect your domestic companies. Thanks for that overview. And you you mentioned one of the ways in which this is different or perhaps tries to avoid uh, some of the multilateral tax treaties that currently exist. Could you talk about how this trend towards digital services taxes departs from longer standing practice in international taxation? Yeah, so um, there's a wide and, and complicated body of international law that really has made, remained fairly constant over about 100 years. Um, and that is based on the taxation of corporate profits. And it defines in detail who gets to tax corporate, which countries get to tax corporate profits. And one of the key elements of that is that you take a company's profit and you divide it among the company countries uh, where the value of that product was created. And the mere importation or sale of the final sale of a product is not counted as creating value. So if, if you make a BMW in Germany and you drive it up to the border in France and you sell it to a French seller, all the value or profit of that car is taxed in Germany. None of it is taxed in France. Uh, in DSTs, because they're based on revenues and because they're, they're, they're taxed uh, just based on the sale within, a, say, France, um, and not the creation of value or uh, the establishment of a, of a permanent residence in France, uh, for that reason, DSTs clearly violate standard international practice. Uh, and then a, th a third thing is, is that they are explicitly aimed at foreign companies and a, you know, a, a standard tenet of international law is you're supposed to treat domestic companies the same as you treat foreign companies and vice versa. Uh, so you're not allowed to discriminate uh, against foreign companies and, and have large taxes on them and then protect your domestic companies from any those same taxes. When you talk about foreign companies, I assume you're primarily talking about U.S.-based companies since we have such a strong yeah. digital sector. Yes, the, these DSTs are written to target only the largest companies, uh, and they do that by having a very high threshold uh, linked to domestic sales and also worldwide sales. And when you look at the list of uh, companies that meet those criteria, most of them are based in the U.S. So what is driving this trend of, of DSTs? Uh, I'm sure you, you hear one story from those that are introducing them. 
uh, and a different story from those that are being impacted by them. But I'm curious for your thoughts on why we're seeing this growing trend. Well, I think originally um, you, it, it was kind of surprising that countries put a lot of effort into DSTs because uh, they didn't raise a whole lot of revenue because they had such a narrow base. And uh, they were guaranteed to upset the Americans. Uh, and, and I think the primary rationale at the time was to get the U.S. and some others back to the negotiating table um, at the OECD uh, to try and uh, negotiate a solution to the overall problem. And, and uh, the overall problem, as a lot of Europeans see it, is that increasingly large countries companies can use the internet to, to shift all uh, production and all sales and all profits overseas to a low-tax company or country. And, um, and, and so you have a country like France where, say, a, a internet platform can be making a lot of money dealing with French users and gathering data for them and providing them services and providing selling ads. Uh, and yet all that, technically all that activity occurs in maybe Ireland. And so France doesn't get to tax any of that value. And the French government increasingly feels that that's unfair. Uh, and so their primary you know, rationale for doing the DST originally was to get the U.S. to the negotiating table to negotiate a solution to that general problem. And that worked. The U.S. government, you know, along with many other Company countries are have been negotiating for the past year or two, and it looked like they might get an agreement by the end of the year, but that now looks doubtful. Um, but that was the primary purpose. I think increasingly, uh, because of the downturn in the economy, every country is looking for tax revenue, and these DSTs look like a pretty good option because most of the tax falls on countries, companies outside your border. Um, so that, you know, it, it, we're seeing some countries are now expanding the scope of the DST to raise more revenue, which indicates maybe they want these DSTs to exist, even if there is an OECD agreement. There are a lot of implications of going from a multilateral trade discussion to these unilateral uh, pol tax policies that are being introduced. And one of those, I'm sure, is around the amount of revenue uh, that uh, and tax liability that these companies could face when they operate across a lot of different company countries. Um, so could you talk about you know, what type, the size of the tax that we're seeing uh, in some of these proposals? And are companies going to be you know, liable if, if these all go through and are enacted? Uh, for, uh, you know, percentages of revenue on a country-by-country country basis? So I, I think the main worry of companies is, is that they will face double and triple taxation on the same profits. Uh, the, the actual 
tax rates on revenues are very low, like two or three percent. But that's sort of deceiving because if if a company has a fifteen percent profit margin and uh, it faces a three percent revenue tax, that's equivalent to about a twenty five percent profit tax. And for a com- company that only has say a five percent um, uh, markup, uh, that would be equivalent to about sixty-three uh, percent profit profit tax, uh, and so it really hits uh, companies that don't have any revenue yet and are trying to expand their you know their user base, uh, or con- companies that only have a, you know a small profit. Uh, which makes is going to make them t- it, it tougher for them to grow. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of work has been put in to the international system for over the last forty years or so to eliminate double taxation, which is, you know, you don't tax the same profits twice. It, it, you divide up the profits among com- countries, and then each country d- determines its own tax rate. But the countries allocate the, com- the the profits allocated to France. Germany can't tax them, nor can the U.S. Um, and and so that's been the guiding principle. It hasn't always worked out that way. And and companies, you know, they really do not want to be taxed more than once on the same income, because that that just you know that that just sort of opens up a free for all and every country you know can raise sort of free revenue by taxing companies that have only a small um presence in the, in their jurisdiction and so that's you know that's been the chief worry of companies uh and if we went down that road of double and triple taxation uh, that would have, you know, depending on how far we go down, that would have a severe effect on the economy. You know, in, in researching this issue, one of the justifications that I've seen from countries as they're proposing or introducing digital services taxes is that they're trying to align income taxation with value creation and that the value for some of these uh, tech platforms is being created by users that are in their countries. I'm curious for your thoughts on on this argument, if I articulated that that justification correctly, uh, and what your view is on that argument. Yeah. So, it, it, like you said, it's basically an argument that uh, a company like Google would not be worth very much uh, if it couldn't harvest a whole bunch of um, Data from its users, and so the French government says, you, you know, you're getting all this data from French users, and it's making you rich. And the French users are creating your value. You're not creating any value. You're just gathering data. Um, and and I think there are two main uh, arguments against that. One is that, like it or not. That's the way the international system works. The international system has always been pretty clear that uh, you divide up corporate revenue profits according to where the value is created. And the mere importation or use of a product in a company, in, 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 a, in a country, 
it does not create value and therefore cannot be subject to tax. And so if we're going to change that fundamental rule, we shouldn't do it we shouldn't allow countries to do it unilaterally just because it benefits them. We should go back to the negotiating table and you know find out a solution that we all agree to. Uh, but the more fundamental objection to that definition of user value is that the data itself is pretty worthless uh, and, and pretty easy to collect. It, where the value comes is in the Google's business model of how it uses those data and in its algorithms that you know take your searches and everybody else's searches and figure out the best answer to a new internet search uh, or that you know get advertisers and users together and and you know get high quality ads that are geared to be relevant to a particular user. That's where the real value comes. And it's not, it's not tangible in the sense that a BMW is tangible and you can see it. It's in the form largely of software and business practices and organizational design. Uh, but it's still, it's still the center, it's still where the value is created not you know the the specific uh web search that a particular user signs in you know in some ways this reminds me of a, another issue that that we work on uh, very regularly at IAB which is around valuing user data and as new privacy laws like CCPA you know grant consumers kind of implicit property rights in some ways over their data it's requiring companies to place a value on that individual consumer data. And depending on how you do this, uh, you know, there are no norms. It's very hard to calculate this for the reasons that you identified. Um, and depending how you do that calculation, you'll get you know, drastically different results um, because most of the value is actually created in you know, how the, the pitch that's being made to advertisers, how data is aggregated uh, and, and these types of things as opposed to that individual you know, user level uh, uh, data that may be collected. Uh, so that's it's it's interesting to see a similar debate you know playing out in some ways uh, in a different context in this case taxation. Um, so you mentioned briefly that the U.S. government has has uh, you know been been paying close attention to this. Um, what has been the U.S. government's response to date? The USTR, the Trade Representative launched an investigation um, into the French DST uh, to see whether it violated international agreements. And they concluded after a couple of months of investigation that um, the French DST did violate France's um, international tax agreements. And the U United States uh, in retaliation, put on uh, put raised quotas on certain French products, uh, and then the French retaliated, raising quotas on on some U.S. products. Uh, and then there was a sort of stand down uh, to see how the OECD negotiation um, worked and and whether the the countries could solve this problem. Um, you know, at, at the negotiating table. Um, 
However, in the meantime, a, a number of other countries, roughly over a dozen, um, started looking and in some cases passing their own D DSTs. And so recently the USTR has announced another uh, investigation of these, you know, this broad number of countries. Um, and that's currently going forward. And I would, would expect that in most, if not all cases, the U.S. government will determine that these also are violations of the tax laws. Uh, meanwhile, the negotiations seem to be stalled. Uh, they looked very promising, and then the, the United States changed its negotiating uh, position and more recently has suggested that the negotiations be um, deferred until uh, the um, Current virus epidemic uh, pandemic is is uh, under control. Um, so it, it looks like things are a lot less optimistic than um, they were three months ago. My next question was going to be, you know, what is the way forward? And it, I, I think you implicitly answered it there. Well, yeah, it's you know. It, <clears throat> um, if we can't get an agreement at the OECD, and that would require compromise, significant compromise by at least one side, uh, if not both. But if we can't, then we seem to be headed toward a, a, you know, tariffs and counter tariffs. And that's the last thing we need at a time when the international economy is really struggling. You know, a, 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 a large factor in the depth and the length of the Great Depression was a series of high tariff raises and, and, and uh, competitive devaluations by different countries. Um, and one reason why the great, the more recent Great Recession wasn't so as bad is that early on countries agreed not to go down that route, and for the most part, they didn't. Uh, and so, you know, it, it would be really dangerous to have a significant increase in tariffs right now. <clears throat> um, but that that looks like that might be the <clears throat> excuse me most pro most probable outcome. At IB, we do a lot of industry research on how the uh, on the economics of the advertising industry, and we've seen uh, a really significant decrease as a result of of COVID, uh, because uh, and I think this illustrates the point around user generated value as well. Despite the fact that many of our members' companies and their websites and properties, digital properties, are seeing record usage, uh, many more people logging on and and connecting with friends and family or reading the news and, and getting health updates, uh, the, the real value uh, for them comes in their, uh, their advertisers, right? And, and whether or not advertisers are um, still spending uh, the same amount on their, on their marketing platforms. And uh, there you've seen, uh, you know, the advertising industry really proved to be a reflection of the broader U.S. economy. And we've seen 20 or 30% decreases in advertising revenue across our, our membership. And so it's, uh, you know, I, th I think you're absolutely right that additional challenges, whether it be, you know, tax burdens or new tariffs, 
um, it's really uh, going to be challenging and set us back further. I, I just mentioned one other thing. You know, the, the Eric uh, Brenjolfs and, and and some colleagues did a, a study recently of how much different internet services were worth to the common user, and if internet search was by far and away the the most valuable, and it was valued at something like seventeen thousand dollars per year that people would you'd have to pay them that much in order to get them not to use it uh, for a year. And if you took the five top services, the total value was somewhere around 23,000. So French users and, and users in other countries are getting tremendous value from these internet platforms. Uh, you know, it's true that the government can't tax the profits, uh, without a foreign um, presence, but the the users are still getting tremendous value, and so uh, it would be a mistake, and it would hurt French users if taxes were raised significantly. Well, I know ITIF is working on a wide range of issues, and I'm curious if there is anything else you would like to highlight about ITIF's work. Uh, ITIF uh, has you know looked at these issues a lot in the past. And, and recently, we've um, started our own innovation uh, podcast with a, a, hosted by Rob Atkinson and uh, in, involving a, a number of prominent people uh, with you know, established reputations in innovation. Um, and so I'm once again delighted to participate on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And we encourage our listeners to to go over and check out ITIF's podcast as well. I've been a listener and really enjoyed the discussions uh, thus far. Uh, so I, I encourage you to, to keep up the great work. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Joe Kennedy. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.